Beloved congregation of our Lord Jesus Christ, can you remember what we have learned last week um, through the preaching of Reverend Feldman about the meaning of the Lord's Supper? Didn't we learn that this supper is one of communion between God and us in Christ Jesus through the Holy Spirit? In this supper, we've again seen that the bond between us and Christ is strengthened. The Lord's Supper is a matter of being united more and more to the sacred body through the Holy Spirit, answer 76. But how did you experience this in the last Lord's Supper that we celebrated? Was it clear in your life, in the way you spoke, that this unity between you and Christ has increased? Could your children or your grandchildren notice that in the way you spoke, in the way you thought and act before Him? What was in fact your expectation at that table? Did you expect that unity to grow? Or was or felt the bread and wine kind of a waste of time to consume? Sometimes we hope for new members who celebrate the table with us to have a special experience. But we also know that it doesn't always feel that way. Of course we go to the Lord's Supper, but often when we leave the table, we lack that that conviction, or rather that feeling, if I may use that word, of unity with Christ. And when we go to work or we continue our life on the Monday, we sometimes have to acknowledge that the Lord's Supper, to our understanding, doesn't have a real impact on our lives. And as we roll on into onto Monday morning, continuing with our work, yeah, we sometimes feel that it was good to celebrate Lord's Supper, and yet, yet what am I doing with this? Is there really something happening in my life? What is the real meaning of that little piece of bread and that little zip of wine that I took? That may add such a big impact in my life. Now this is exactly what Lord's Day 29 of the Catechism deals with. According to sound Reformed tradition, it has already positively explained in Lord's Day 28 the scriptural doctrine about the Lord's Supper. We understand the meaning of it. But now Lord Say 29 wants to, to move on. He wants to proceed to help us again understand the impact, the significance of the Lord's Supper. And he does so not only in order to review existing heresies, additions, as um, Belgian Confession Article 35 mentioned, to deal with that, but but especially to help you and me to keep a clear perspective 
on that piece of bread and a zip of wine. To, to change in our focus or to continue to, to regenerate our focus and our expectations at every Lord's Supper. Because it could be that we are indeed expecting too much or expect specific feelings that does not correlate with the bread and the wine or that we do not expect enough and let it kind of pass ourselves the real meaning, the real truth contained in bread and wine. And therefore it takes its time, our confession, to explain these signs and seals, bread and wine. What does it really mean for me, for me a true believer? And how does this impact me? And this afternoon we will also listen to the words of the Lord Jesus in John 6. How does his explanation of his body and blood for us and our celebration of it in the Lord's Supper, how does that affect our life from Monday to Saturday? And influence all our activities. And so I summarize God's word as we confess in Laws 8.29 as follows. Christ's body and blood in bread and wine. These, beloved, these signs speak their own language. They signify our spiritual nourishment. And they, these signs reassure us of the unity with Christ. The first Christ's body and blood in bread and wine. They speak their own language. Congregation, when reading question answer 78, we, we see that the catechism is using strong language, strongly expressing itself. Christ wants to nourish and revitalize his guests at the table with his crucified body and shed blood. Now, if you think about this, this is quite profound. Christ wants to nourish and revitalize us what an what an awesome act of love by the lord himself he wants that that to be to be real to be authentic to be genuine for us to the point that he he calls this piece of bread and this sip of wine his body and his, his blood. Now, our catechism picks up on that. And in, in order to help us understand the real significance of it, it, it places the Lord's Supper next to baptism. Because that it helps us to understand it. And, and one is allowed to do that. Because both these sacraments speak about what Christ does to our human soul, our deepest being. And therefore, the bread and wine can be compared with the water of baptism. Baptismal water is just and remains normal water. It's right from the tap, in the bowl. The water, as we have also confessed, does not literally wash away visible sins. If you look at the baby, there's no, no sticker on the forehead with a list of sins and, and that we kind of wash that away. 
Now, baptism itself doesn't clean the soul. Christ's blood does. And then in a spiritual way. And yet, this sacrament signifies the real thing. What Christ is doing in our lives. And the same counts for the Lord's Supper. That bread remains bread. And the wine, ordinary wine. Such a meal in itself can never quench our hunger. Our spiritual hunger. That we in our soul experiences. It can never satisfy our, our thirst for Christ. This is, this is clear logic. However, at the same time, we cannot deny that there is something more to be said about this, this baptismal water. No, it's not blessed by a priest like in the Roman Catholic Church. However, in our midst, according to God's word, it receives a special purpose. And is therefore of great value. Because while being sprinkled on the head of the baby or adult, it clearly signifies and guarantees the washing away of our sins. Baptismal water is sheer water, but, but in that sense, not everyday water, so to speak. It is water with a special purpose and with a special message. And that's why the water speaks a thousand words, so to speak. And the same can be said about that piece of bread and that sip of wine that we take. We can't deny that there is something very special to be said about this bread and wine. And particularly bread and wine. Because that's the means that the Lord introduced to us. We don't sit at the table using, so to speak, tea and biscuits. No, we use bread and wine. And although this bread and wine don't change into the physical body and blood of Christ, like being taught in the Roman Catholic Church, they are indeed the ultimate symbols of His body and blood. And so by breaking the bread, Christ portrays how He died for us, for the guests at His table. And by filling and, and blessing and, and sharing the cup, Jesus wants to emphasize, express, strongly express how he gave his blood, his body and blood to us. This portrayal also acts as a guarantee. When he gives his guests that broken bread and the wine in the cup, he assures us that the same time that he really sacrificed his body, and blood for us as we eat and drink in remembrance of Him. He, don't, he wants us not to doubt that. The bread is genuine bread, but simultaneously, it's kind of not ordinary bread. Because Christ destined that bread for a particular purpose, emphasizing that it, that it is real body. By calling it his body. And the wine is it's genuine grape wine. You can buy it at the coals. But in the same sense, it is not just ordinary grape wine. Because Christ des destined it 
for particular purpose by calling it his blood. We should not take it literally. We should take his word seriously. And what does it imply? It means that these sacraments speak their own language. It wants to clearly show us the real thing without being Christ himself. It's like showing a picture to someone. You know, if I show a picture of myself, then you will say, this is the ref. That is true. But you, you don't mean it literally, because I'm still here, I'm showing you the picture. You may say, well, then that is a reliable picture of the ref. And that's the same way of the bread, why Jesus called it his body. We need to take that indication seriously, but not literally. And the bread is thus called according to the nature of the sacraments in a way that the Holy Spirit speaks about it. And by this we mean to say that these symbols, just like the picture of myself, mention who or what they depict. They sufficiently explain why the most common bread can be called, this is the real body of Christ. This is a trustworthy reflection, picture of it, a symbol of it. And the same applies for the cup of wine. And that's how our Lord wants to, to strengthen us, by making it to us as real as possible, as authentic as possible, as representative as possible. Beloved, our catechism is, is not completely satisfied with this explanation. He wants to, to move on. According to it, the most important has not been said about the nature of the sacraments. Because there is more than just the symbolism of the bread and wine. And therefore it wants to, to show us why Christ calls the bread his body and the wine his blood. What is his purpose for doing so? thus giving it a special meaning. And what do we do when we leave the table, when we take these signs, this bread and wine, seriously? What do we do with it? Is it only meaning meant as figuratively? A reflection of the true, real thing? As with baptism, the catechism doesn't hesitate to again use strong language to name the bread and wine. There should be no misunderstanding of this, of the importance of this sacrament. On the contrary, it likes to explain why Christ, with very good reason, calls his body the bread and the cup is wine. And this we see in point two. These signs signifies our spiritual nourishment. Beloved, Jesus chose the symbolism of a meal, a table with food and drink. It's a true blessing. And it's a true blessing for those who hunger and thirst. Especially spiritually. It is the believer's most ardent desire to sit 
at a table. To sit at His table. It's something that we long for. It's our desire to be there with one another, with the Lord. Because it's the real thing. It's a blessing. It's not something that is optional to attend. We don't dare to stay away for not good reasons. Because we know at that table, the real thing takes place. Our hunger and thirsty souls are stilled, are satisfied and nourished to eternal life. How do we know that? Well, we've read John 6. Long before the institution of the sacrament, Jesus said to the Jews, You must eat my flesh and drink my blood. John 6, verse 51 and, and, and 53 to 55. And what Jesus says there is, is very enlightening. For the symbolism of the sacrament, even if in this chapter it is not initially meant to explain the Lord's Supper, the sacrament itself. Now the day before Jesus made this remark, he used five barley loaves and two small fishes for serving an abundant meal for 5,000 men, not counting women and children. So he had fed thousands. And the people were deeply impressed by the sign, by this miracle. But he himself points to the relative weakness of this wonder bread. And Jesus says, with such bread, nobody stays alive eternally. Think about the manna in the past, the bread from heaven, which the Israelites, which God's people ate. All of them ate from that heavenly bread, it came from above, a blessing from the Lord, and yet, did they survive? Jesus asked, no, none of them are alive anymore. It is food that perishes. Very different is the food which endures to everlasting life, verse 27. Such food gives an indestructible life. That bread is in the full sense of the word, the true bread, verse 32. And such bread comes also from above. It comes in himself, in Jesus himself. He is that bread that they should eat. He is the living bread, the bread that gives life, eternal life. And he thus not only indicates that he himself is alive, but that he intends to give true life, eternal life, to others. As much as you need normal bread to stay alive. And Jesus knew they need that bread. That's why he fed them, thousands of them. But as much as you need this real, bra- bra- this real bread... You need me to still your hunger for eternal life. And to be clear on this, Jesus puts even more realistic what he says. The bread that I shall give is my flesh, which I shall give for the rest, for the life of the world. Verse 51. And by that he referred to his self-surrender into death, although they would not understand it at that particular point. 
But it's important for us to grasp the profound meaning of this. When Jesus calls the Jews to eat his flesh and drink his blood. To them, it was a bit raw in the ear. Sounds like cannibalism. Yet for us, it has deep meaning. Because we should probably understand what he means with that. With that. God has no intention to make us cannibals. No, he wants to signify how close we human beings can come to him. How we can eat him, make him our own. Even that is shocking imagery in our times. Yet Jesus gives us as instruction, you need to eat me. You need to become one with me. The Jews needed to realize that his death is going to be the only source of real life, eternal life. And therefore, they need to accept him with all their hearts as the man who indulges himself and will indulge himself unto death. When they see him on the cross, hanging on the cross later, they should know, this is our Lord. With him, we should be one to eternal life. This is the only way to escape eternal damnation. And therefore Jesus tells them, calls them, eat me, drink me. This is gospel for you. This is good news for you. For my body is the real meal. My blood is the real drink. It is true. Eternally true. It's the only way to receive eternal life. Brothers and sisters, is this also the way we perceive that little piece of bread and that sip of wine? When we taste, take and eat and taste the Lord's goodness at His table? Do we sit at the table and really experience that we are eating and drinking Christ? This is a real spiritual meal. In the New Testament, we refer to it as the breaking of the bread. But that breaking of the bread is the breaking of Christ's body. It is eating Him like eating a snack or lunch. It is a normal slice of bread. Yet the impact is awesome. In the early days of the New Testament church, the Lord's Supper has been celebrated as a real meal. Every week, every week they celebrate the Lord's Supper to emphasize and to highlight and to strengthen their unity with Christ. Often they had a normal meal beforehand, the agape meal, we read in 1 Corinthians. But then they also had that Real meal, the meal eating Christ. And that's exactly the point Jesus made in John 6. 
He invites his guests to sit at his table, to fill them up, to full, make them full with one piece of bread and one sip of wine. The impact is awesome. It is real food and drink to sustain their lives because it clearly pictures the unity with Him. There is no other way than through bread and life to eat and drink Christ. And that is what He wants to teach us. Every time we sit at a table, and sure, we celebrate the Lord's Supper once a quarter, we, should, we could actually be able to celebrate every week because of the importance of the signifying the unity for us and the meaning of that from Monday till Saturday. That we do not feel disconnected to Him at all. And so we come to the third point. These signs assure us of the unity with Christ. Because, beloved, Jesus feeds His guests not only as normal bread and wine feed them, but also as surely as they receive the taste, as they receive and taste bread and wine. So this instructive comparison is also a given guarantee. The Lord's Supper doesn't only illustrate how we became partakers of Him, how we become partakers of eternal life, but also guarantees that we become that He becomes part of our life. We and Him, and Him and us. For Christ, this is an even more urgent reason for Him calling the bread and the wine His body and blood. For just as real as we eat this bread, we come to close contact with His real body. And not His real body, because His real body is in heaven, but the, real, the reality of His body in the communion that we have in the bread and wine. And so seated at His table, we as His guests are connected to Him in a profound spiritual way when we eat the bread and we drink the wine, His real body and blood. Yet the same token, we do not cling with our hearts to the outward symbols of bread and wine, but we lift our hearts on high where Christ our advocate is at the right hand of his heavenly Father. Lord, you're up there in heaven bodily and that you're so close to us. Thank you for the bread and the wine. Spiritually connected through the Spirit. That is our unity with him. And so these bread and wine which we frequently use should be the starting point of our thoughts. Christ gives us, as his guests, these signs in remembrance of him. In our minds we go back to him as he offered himself that day when he, that we read in John 6. The day he offered himself on the cross when he died. And we see the bread and we drink the wine and we think about the past we also are fully aware of the present. Because although He's in heaven, He's now with us here. He hang on the cross in the past. But His cross overshadowed our whole life, our whole existence. 
that past, all his suffering and obedience, he took with him to heaven. And yet he applies that every day in our lives. And so he takes, as to speak, our minds, our thoughts, up to himself who is in heaven. He wants that connection. And he wants that on Monday and on Tuesday up till Saturday. Yes, he is there as our advocate. He is there as the real one, representing also our bodies, assuring us of his return that, that one day we will be with him in renewed bodies. He was a human with a special past. And based on that past, he's now pleading for us on the right hand of God to assure us that one day indeed we will be bodily with him. And then we don't need to eat bread and wine and drink wine anymore. Because then that unity will be perfect. We will be in perfect in his perfect presence. And sure, the past, that's what we celebrate, remains relevant, important. His sacrifice was broad, but continues unabated in its current meaning. Also, the heavens agree with this. Because what happened on the cross doesn't fade away in the midst of the past. On the contrary, all the heavenly creatures praise Christ as the Lamb. They see Him as the Lamb, slain for His people. People that He bore as His family with His blood. All the angels and the people, they confirm how decisive His sacrifice is and remains. And that's why we will celebrate the marriage feast of the Lamb. The remembrance of Christ during the Lord's Supper thus perfectly corresponds with the remembrance in heaven. Who eats the broken bread in remembrance of Him joins that praise in heaven and draw near to Him who pleads at the right hand of His Father. And for this unique communion and union with Christ, the work of the Holy Spirit is indispensable. Without Him, the third person in the Trinity, no guest will ever leave the stable joyfully, experiencing that intense unity, let alone maintaining the relationship with Christ in heaven. And that's why the Catechism mentions this point separately. We mustn't think that the Lord's Supper automatically brings everyone closer to Christ. No, he affirms to all the people at the table that is the powerful work of the Spirit who seriously wants to admit to join Christ must always call upon the work of the Spirit. And therefore we need Him. We need to pray for Him. Also after the Lord's Supper that we may daily increase through the Spirit in that community with Christ. Does that mean that our relationship with Christ always and every time becomes steadily stronger at every Lord's Supper? Well, even the most pious among us will recognize that this relationship sometimes barely affects our doings. That's how we often experience it. We so often fail. It's not God's fault. It's our fault. We so often fail. 
there even remain in us an aversion about him. Responding like those in John 6, do we really have to eat you? But there's also a remaining aversion about ourselves. We even sometimes ask, are we with all our depth still really welcome guests at the next dinner, the next table? Yet Christ comforts us through His Spirit at His table and brings our hearts to rest. Eat, drink, remember and believe. Know that my Spirit will continue to work this unity, even if you don't feel it. It is there because it's my promise. That's what I want to emphasize, confirm with you at my table. Guarantee to you, you repentant guests who sit for the umpteen time at my table. You who have not deserved anything but the wrath of God under which I had to die. But through my spirit, we are one. Not the same as my father and myself, but we are one through the Spirit. And therefore, this is the guarantee I want to give you, I want to show you in the bread and wine. That's why I call it my body and my blood. It's a trustworthy seal of all my sufferings, my complete obedience for you. There's one seal, the bread. We have to eat. And this, the other, the wine, we have to drink and incorporate both in our bodies because what Jesus did for us is real through his own suffering. As if we personally, as if we personally, said our catechism, had suffered and paid for our sin. Our sins. How profound can it become? There's our communion with Him. You receive the real thing. And so, at every Lord's Supper, brothers and sisters, Christ personally comes to you and me. Not physically, but personally. He comes in the signs and the seal of bread and wine. He does not come materially, but spiritually. But He does come. And He continues through His Spirit throughout the week. He is yours by faith. And He comes in this way to strengthen your faith and to assure you that He really and personally is your great Savior and Lord. And that in Him, you truly have forgiveness, complete forgiveness of all your sins. Beloved, let us marvel at this. Marvel at this salvation. May this really continue to fill us with wonder, with awe, with real joy every time we celebrate Lord's Supper and after. You know, the response of the people in John 6 was that of unbelief. May that never be our response. Go to the table with great expectations, expecting the real things. Not over-asking your emotions, but expecting to be nurtured and fed by Christ. And so by confessing, Law say 29, 
we can say, truly, Lord, you are our Lord, our only one, in Christ alone. One in Christ. Through the promise and the powerful work of His Spirit. Amen.